0: Brilliant speaker. Um, so, two talks today. Peter's first up, and he's going to use a really new technology. Um, so new that it's powerless. Um, no yeah. no PowerPoint. No, Completely sustainable. I, I don't know how it's possible. But <laughs> here we are. That's the wonders of technology. So Peter's going to talk on, is it reasonable for God to forgive sinners?
1: Yeah. And uh, I'm cheekily going to do that by reading uh, from some books to you. My own excuse is they're books that I wrote, so I can kind of get away with that, whilst uh, also giving another advertising plug for a couple of my books, you see. Several birds with one stone. Um, is it reasonable for God to forgive sinners? This is really what, in theological language, people uh, call uh, talk about the doctrine of the atonement. Uh, that itself is an interesting word, atonement. Um, at-one-ment God's way of making us at one with him despite sin uh, let me start with a bit from uh, my book C.S. Lewis versus the New Atheists Christopher Hitchens expresses his aversion to the idea of vicarious atonement he says the, of the sort that so much troubled even C.S. Lewis as in the story of Abraham we have a father demonstrating love by subjecting a son to death by torture. But this time, unlike the, the Abraham story, the father's not trying to impress God. He's God, and he's trying to impress humans. Well, obviously, Hitchens fails to factor in the idea that the crucified son is God incarnate, such that the atonement is an act of divine self sacrifice as philosopher c stephen evans observes quote when jesus gave his life for us it's not god punishing an innocent victim but god giving himself for us End quote perhaps a similar recognition led lewis to comment in mere christianity that vicarious atonement does not seem to me quite so immoral and so silly as it used to nevertheless lewis surely speaks for many when he muses What I couldn't see was how the life and death of someone else, whoever he was, 2,000 years ago, could help us here and now. Except insofar as his example helped us. And the example business, though true and important, is not Christianity. Right in the center of Christianity, you keep getting something quite different and very mysterious, expressed in those phrases I have so often ridiculed Propitiation, sacrifice, the blood of the Lamb. Expressions which I could only interpret in senses that seemed to me either silly or shocking. Jump books (coughs) from understanding Jesus. Jesus viewed his death as an act of sacrifice that would inaugurate a new phase in the relationship between God and humanity. As theologian Mark Strauss explains, the so-called Last Supper was a Jewish Passover celebration with a twist. I think he's quite insightful on this. He says, this is no ordinary Passover, but the establishment of a new Passover for the new age of salvation, the kingdom of God. The original Passover represented God's greatest act of deliverance in the Hebrew scriptures and the creation of Israel as a nation. Yahweh defeated Pharaoh, delivered his people through the sacrificial blood of the Passover lamb, and brought them out of slavery in Egypt. Giving them his law at Mount Sinai, he established a covenantal relationship with them. When Israel was later oppressed and defeated by enemies, the prophets would predict that one day, when Yahweh would return to Zion to accomplish a new and greater exodus... Jesus' Eucharistic words recall and transform the rich symbols of the Passover. The unleavened bread of the Passover meal represents Jesus' body given for his disciples. The the implication is that he is the new Passover lamb. The Passover wine represents the blood of the new covenant. Jesus' words in Mark 14.24, this is my blood of the new covenant, echo Exodus 24.8. Jesus speaks explicitly of the new covenant, a clear allusion to Jeremiah 31. And Jesus' words at the Last Supper thus fit well his preaching about the kingdom of God. they also provide important clues as to how he viewed his approaching death. Drawing symbolism from the Passover meal, the covenant at Sinai, and the new Exodus, and the new covenant imagery in the prophets, Jesus inaugurates a new Passover meal, celebrating the new covenant and the arrival of the kingdom of God while the first covenant was instituted with the blood of sacrificial animals this new covenant will be established through his own blood it seems likely therefore that Jesus viewed his death as a sacrifice of atonement as that word leading his people in a new exodus from bondage to sin and death In light of the divine vindication provided by the resurrection, subject of other talks that we've had, Jesus' multiply and independently attested repurposing of this Passover uh, meant that his crucifixion was a performative act. Um, When I first studied philosophy at Cardiff, we did some uh, philosophy of language about performative utterances, which are things like, um, uh, I proclaim you man and wife, or I name this ship, And then the ship is called that, and then they are married because the right person in the right situation has said that they are. Uh, Jesus uh, meant his crucifixion was a a performative act inaugurating the New Age covenant predicted by the Old Testament. So just as the act is a a properly authorised personage breaking a bottle of champagne on the side of a ship whilst uttering the words, I name this ship, brings about the naming of a ship. So Jesus' death and his interpretation thereof brings about the existence of a new covenant in light of the fact of the resurrection shows him to be someone with the authority to do so. So Jesus' death and resurrection bring about and advertise the fact of a new covenantal relationship between God and humanity. Exactly how God bridges the gulf between sinful human beings and his own perfect nature so as to permit this at one moment is the subject matter of theories of atonement. But theologian Asda McGrath explains that the New Testament is not concerned with the detailed and intricate mechanics of redemption. The New Testament actually presents us with a series of images of what Christ achieved for us through his death and resurrection. It's dominated by proclaiming the fact of the cross and the resurrection have the power to change us, along with a number of superb illustrations of the way in which we can visualise that potential. As C. Stephen Evans concurs, it's the fact of atonement that Christians are asked to believe, not any particular theory as to how it is achieved in Christ's death and resurrection. Indeed, Christians over the centuries held a variety of theories about how this occurred. The study of the intricate mechanics of the redemption, the philosophical elaboration of various theories of atonement, takes place in dialogue with a complex set of scriptural symbols and images. Taking these images literally is analogous to taking scientific images of atoms being like billiard balls, literally. Just as thinking as atoms as billiard balls is useful for relating to atoms in certain circumstances, so thinking of Jesus' death as a ransom, Mark 20:45, that buys us back from the clutches of sin, is useful for relating to Jesus' death in certain situations. However, just as thinking of atoms as being literally like billiard balls leads to theoretical problems, so thinking of Jesus' death as a literal ransom leads to theological problems. Likewise, theologians deploy multiple analogies to capture multiple aspects of atonement, just as scientists deploy multiple analogies to capture multiple aspects, for example, of light, which is described as both wave-like and particle-like, a description that's incoherent if taken literally, but useful when taken as a metaphor. Some Christians advance a strict, uh, what's called a strict retributionist interpretation of the biblical image of substitutionary atonement. The image of substitution is often used in scripture, along with others, of course. The problem with this theory is, I think that it often is presented in an overly legalistic manner. God the Father is the stern lawgiver who imposes a punishment on Jesus, the innocent victim, so he'll not have to pour out his wrath on the rest of us. The whole business sounds like a cold legal transaction. And of course, what is forgotten is that in this picture, Christians are monotheists as well as Trinitarians. God the Father and the Son are one. When Jesus gives his life for us, it's not God punishing an innocent victim, but God giving himself for us. But even with some Trinitarian adjustment, this model, I think, can sound like an angry man who diverts his rage away from its real object, such as a wife or a child. If not by hitting an innocent bystander instead, then by smashing his own fist through the window, self-harming in the kind of love that coexists with loathing and turns into self-loathing. Hence, with the Christian philosopher Richard Pertill, I think that strict reproduci- retribution is a profoundly unchristian view, and that this view of atonement leads to the mistaken view that Christ was punished for our sins. A view quite different from, that, from the view that Christ suffered for our sins. Indeed, Isaiah 53, which is a crucial sort of prophetic passage about uh, the suffering servant of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53 doesn't say that the servant suffers the punishment due to our sin. But that he suffers our sin. In Isaiah 53 6 and 12. That is, as the suffering servant, Jesus exhibited the fact of divine sin bearing through the medium of the unjust punishment he received from the authorities upon the cross. Isaiah 53 5 first half. As Paul writes, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed. Through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 2 Timothy 1.9.10 That is, the new covenant brought about by Jesus' death is the eternally planned, explicit enactment of a previously implicit reality. Jesus' death doesn't make or allow God to love us. As theologians Joel Green and Mark Baker affirm, whatever meaning atonement might have, it would be a grave error to imagine that it focused on assuaging God's anger or winning God's merciful attention. Rather, Jesus died for us because God already loved us. Quote, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 1 John 4.10 Paul states that, quote, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. Keith Ward elaborates upon the theme of God's sacrificial suffering of sin displayed in the cross. And this is about as close as I can come to a metaphysical theory of atonement. He says this, sin, we might well say, causes a change in the divine nature the realisation of anger towards the sin, even when transformed by compassion, the frustration of divine purpose and the frustration of joy. These are costs that God freely bears whenever sin impairs a possible divine creaturely relationship. The crucifixion of Jesus, insofar as it's an act of God, as well as the self-offering of a human life, is the particular and definitive historical expression of the universal sacrifice of God in bearing the cost of sin. Sin is a harm done to God inasmuch as it causes God to know and to share the suffering and reality of evil. The ransom God pays is to accept this cost to bear with evil in order that it should be redeemed, transfigured in God. The patience of God bearing the cost of sin takes the life and death and resurrection of Jesus as its own self-manifestation and makes it the means by which the liberating life of God is made available in its essential form to the world. Well, I think this makes a good deal of intuitive sense to me for what is forgiveness in our experience, but the willingness of a wronged individual to suffer and absorb the wrong done to them in the hope of relationship with the person who wronged them. To forgive someone is not to excuse them as not being guilty, but rather to affirm their guilt whilst willingly suffering their sin and the pain it causes. Evans comments, In the death and resurrection of Jesus, God shows us how complete his love for us is, He takes on human form and suffers the consequences of sin, expressing both the seriousness with which he views our sin and the exuberant love with which he's willing to forgive our sin. Let me pop back briefly to Lewis. Lewis had his own speculation about the the mechanics of the atonement, um, and I don't think they're terribly helpful. His uh, idea was that uh, the incarnation enables God to experience a total surrender to God, because he's also being man, and he can then help us to imitate that surrender contrary to our fallen natures. I don't think that's particularly persuasive, because omniscience surely encompasses a sufficient knowledge by description of how human beings can and should surrender themselves to God quite apart from having a first-hand knowledge by acquaintance through the incarnation but Lewis himself added this caveat such is my own way of looking at what Christians call the atonement but remember this is only one more picture do not mistake it for the thing itself and if it doesn't help you drop it. He says, before I became a Christian, I was under the impression that the first thing Christians had to believe was one particular theory as to what the point of Jesus' dying was. What I came to see later on was that neither the theory of, say, penal substitution nor any other is Christianity. The central Christian belief is that Christ's death has somehow put us right with God and given us a fresh start. Theories as to how it did this are another matter. A good many different theories have been held as to how it works. What all Christians are agreed on is that it does work. A man can eat his dinner without understanding exactly how food nourishes him. A man can accept what Christ has done without knowing how it works. And he also uses this um, image of the scientific and theological models that I talked about in the other book on his philosophy of language Lewis came to believe that the what he called the myth become fact of Jesus' death and resurrection was itself the most adequate picture of the atonement and that the theological models we can construct of it whilst they might help us to understand this or that facet of the underlying reality are necessarily more abstract and so less real than what Lewis would call the mythopoetic reality and that that reality is actually most adequately grasped through a sympathetic imagination applied to Jesus's passion. Um, in a letter dated uh, 18th of October 1931, after he'd been uh, chatting with uh, Hugo Dyson and J.R.R. R. Tolkien, author of The, the uh, Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings books, he wrote this to his friend Arthur Greaves, and I'll end with this quotation what Dyson and Tolkien showed me was this, that if I met the idea of a sacrifice in a pagan story, I didn't mind it at all. Again, that if I met the idea of a god sacrificing himself to himself, I liked it very much and was mysteriously moved by it. Again, that the idea of a dying and reviving god, Balder, Adonis, Bacchus, similarly moved me, provided I met it anywhere except in the Gospels. The reason was that in pagan stories, I was prepared to feel the myth as profound and suggestive of meanings beyond my grasp, even though I could not say in cold prose what it meant. Now, the story of Christ is simply a true myth, a myth working on us in the same way as the others, but with this tremendous difference that it really happened. And one must be content to accept it in the same way, remembering that it is God's myth, where the others are men's myth. I mean, the pagan story is a God expressing himself through the minds of poets, using such images as he found there, while Christianity is God expressing himself through what we might call real things. Therefore, it is true, not in the sense of being a description of God, that no finite mind could take in. But in the sense of being the way in which God chooses to or can appear to our faculties, the doctrines we get out of the true myth are, of course, less true. They're translations into our concepts and ideas of that which God has already expressed in a language more adequate, namely the actual incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. Does this amount to a belief in Christianity? At any rate, I am now certain, A, that this Christian story is to be approached in a sense as I approached the other myths, and B, that it's the most important and full of meaning. I'm also nearly certain that it really happened.
0: Thank you, Peter
2: find <laughs> um, the books read more um,
0: questions for Peter
2: I was getting kind of a Hegelian vibe from your kind of uh, I just want to ask have you uh, read uh, a guy called Slavoj Zizek lost, uh,
1: no I haven't but, um, tell me more <laughs> well,
2: he's, he's a, an atheist and Something again, and at least recently, um, his work has taken sort of a theological turn, mm. and he's uh, tried to interpret the Christian tradition from an atheistic perspective, mm. using Christian theology itself and playing out the totality of the, the Christian myth, mm. and the and um, and the atonement as the central sort of dialectical action in the, that Jesus has to die and so on, and our mm. essence has to be restored to us. Who Jesus God themselves, Himself, sort of
1: think. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I yes, but there's a sense. God's
2: sacrifice seems to be the core of, the of what
1: Christianity. Yeah, is. Patu- particularly with that establishment of the New Covenant mm-hmm. and, and what Jesus. I go into some length in the book about the meaning of communion. Yes. we we celebrate that Passover meal in the communion. Yeah. And I actually quote from a, a French atheist philosopher. Uh, Andre Enville, mm-hmm. um, about the meaning of communing in something
2: yeah.
1: and he says um, to sh- we can't all share if we sh- try and share in the same cake we have to divide it up and the more of us try to share in the cake the less cake we all get yeah. but a group of us can all commune in the same enjoyment of sharing the cake mm-hmm. and the more of us commune in that enjoyment of sharing the cake it's not as if each of us gets less no. Enjoyment of the communion. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think of the communion service where we uh, Christians say, um, you know, we are all one body because we all share in one bread, representative of Christ's body. That, yeah. that Christ I, I is saying in the in the new covenant, we are sort of in Christ. We 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 put ourselves sort of in Him as, as our new sort of representative of the church, the body of Christ, etc. That this sort of yeah yeah. You
2: talk about the myth being kind of pretty essential, um, irrespective of. a a rational argument as to why it's
1: true and so on? Um, Well, not not irrespective of, because, although I obviously didn't have time to go into the evidence for it, I I, I pinned it on the evidence of the resurrection, showing that Jesus was who he claimed to be, and that therefore his words... But
2: you're saying there's there's no specific theological reasoning as to why the atonement
1: is... Yeah, I, I think we're struggling, just as we're struggling in science, to understand, to model the reality... And you can take a critical realist view of science, you know, not a sort of postmodern who knows what it all means. I could take a critical realist view of theology and say we're trying to model this reality, but we don't have to wait until we've got, you know, a final theory of everything in order to relate to the world or a final theory of the atonement in order to actually participate in it and relate to God through it. The way I see the
2: atonement, the the myth, and so on, and uh, the Christian narrative is that. The narrative itself is more, as a kind of an atheist, is more important than God because atonement, um, the, the myth of atonement and Jesus' death and so on, and sacrifice to essentially, well, in a manner of speaking,
1: kind of resolve humanity's alienation mm-hmm. from itself. That That's kind of
2: the, the ultimate humanist atheist act, which. In a rally right. Removes
1: the need for another god beyond uh, the, the Well, that, the yeah. It. Of course, that's going to that's depend upon yeah. From an atheist position, yeah. from a Christian position, of course, I think there really is a god yeah. from whom we really are alienated, who has really expressed this as the way to overcome not only our sort of self alienation mm-hmm. through our sinfulness, whatever you call it, yeah. but our alienation actually from God, yeah. and that ties in with our purpose in life and our eternal destiny and so on. So, obviously. Um, I'm interpreting it through that wider philosophical context. Point, though, yeah. I mean,
2: through the resurrection and the eternity, are we united with God? I mean, fully as one. In that sense, do we overcome our alienation ever? And if that's the case, yeah. then does that not remove the need for God? Well, um, there's, there's no distinction. The process
1: of putting, being in Christ, putting on Christ, uh, of sanctification, as it's called theologically, thought to begin in this life, but only to flourish in, in eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, and that is not a sort of eastern idea of getting rid of individuality um, uh, when we you know, reach Brahman or whatever, it is the idea of fulfilling our intended personhood which is to relate to God in, in the community of people who relate to him mm-hmm. um, and to do that most fully but we're still
2: subordinate it, to God even in heaven which yeah, is we're course alienated from our ability to appreciate the resurrection as I see it. We'd still not be God. Yeah, Yeah. we still still wouldn't be God, we wouldn't be Jesus, we wouldn't be completely
1: enlightened by this. Well, we'd still be finite, Uh, we'd still be finite beings, but we'd be finite beings without the marring of sin.
2: Uh, I just guess I kind of accept the resurrection by drawing the line in heaven and a different world, it seems to be unnecessary for the understanding of
1: Oh, but if you, accept, if you accept the resurrection, that's just a forward sample of the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, the new heavens and new earth is just a, an extrapolation from the resurrection. Can we put this <laughs> <up>? <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite Thank you. Yeah.
0: This, is a, this is very helpful. <laughs> um, any other questions about what Peter's been saying? But did you think God... I suppose God does have a right, but how can God forgive Mm. when actually a lot of the the things are man to man, woman to man, etc. He can't do that on our behalf.
1: No, he can't do our forgiving for us, but every sin is a sin that has God as its object. Because he is the morally perfect being who is the source of the moral law. So, in every sin, God is harmed. In, in, in that sense, as well as the person, I think the way it works for christianity is is you know God, the most loving maximally perfect being I see um, forgives me despite my sin, shows his love to me despite my sin, so I respond to that um, we first we love God because he first loved us. I also see that he loves you guys, so when you guys it's sin against me or I sin against you you know um, in that context of the relationship with God we say well uh, okay I, I might not want to forgive you but God's forgiven me and he forgives you and since I love him I will love what he loves mm-hmm. just as you, you love what your partner loves you know you love what your loved one loves and so that overcomes that is you know in, w- in that
2: yeah. big sense because we resolve his love and we love what he loves does that in a way not imply that we sense our match his and our means and means match his. Well,
1: we become more godlike, certainly, but that, that's not the same thing as saying we erase the line of distinction between yeah, ontologically. It's but <laughs> yeah. will
0: move on. Um, we'll change technology, have a refill of tea and, <coughs> and, and coffee and cake and, and back on again and pick up these questions. That mm. Thank you.